0: Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Amen. Well, good morning. Great to see you this morning. And if you're just now joining us, we are looking at the Word of God out of Luke chapter 23 today. If you would like to get a uh, note sheet, you can download that on our website. You're welcome to do that if you'd like. Follow along with us, and we're going to continue a series about how one encounter with Christ changes everything. Uh, this uh, last week, in fact, a week ago, I was privileged earlier uh, to be able to be invited to the White House for a briefing along with several others on the uh, uh, the position of our administration when it comes to interacting with Uh, Israel, uh, anti-Semitism, religious liberty. Uh, There were probably about a 100 or so folks that gathered in the White House for that briefing. And I was with a contingency of pastors and several others uh, from Michigan. Probably were about seven or eight of us in total. And it it came together very quickly. I mean, everything just kind of had to be done in the last three weeks or so. Uh, We had to go through background checks, obviously, and we were just honored to be invited. Uh, Before we did so, there were a number of pastors that were there, about five or six of us. And I knew several of them, but most of them I didn't know. And so we uh, made a decision to gather at, uh, I think it's called the Old Ebbets Inn, about two to three blocks from the White House, where we were going to meet for breakfast, get to know each other, and kind of just put together the plans for the day. And as I was sitting there, there were about four guys that were right on my corner of the table who I I really didn't know. And sitting right next to me was a a man who actually was from Egypt. Uh, He moved here uh, and started a church, an Arabic-speaking church in Sterling Heights. Uh, His name is uh, Avdkar. I think I got that right. I got to look. I got to write that down. Uh, His name is... Avdal, If I got that wrong, I'm sorry, Avdal brother. I'm still learning how to say it. And he was sitting right next to me, and I was talking to some of the other guys, and uh, I mentioned that uh, I was with the missionary church. Most of them were from either a network of churches or were independent churches, and so they didn't have denominations they were a part of. And so I was trying to explain to them a little bit about the missionary church, and uh, Avdal says, missionary church, I'm familiar with the missionary church. And um, I said, uh, well, you're sure? He goes, yeah. He said, I, "I, we meet in a missionary church in Sterling Heights. And I, I, I said, well, are you sure that it wasn't a missionary Baptist church? Because sometimes we get confused with them. He said, no. He said, it's a missionary church. And then he said, my, my contact is a pastor by the name of Jim Thompson. I said, Jim Thompson? I know Jim. Sure. I said, I You're kidding. And so I said, Oh, you must be at this church. And he showed me a picture. He pulled up his phone, he showed me a picture. And there is Jim Thompson standing next to Pastor Dan Hammer, who's on our staff, our our student ministries pastor. And I said, Hey, that's a picture of my student ministries pastor. I said, What are you doing with that picture? And he said, "Um," Oh, he said, "Um, I was at a retreat two weeks ago for pastors and their spouses. And he was there. And actually, Tammy and I didn't go. And, and, and uh, I said, well, yeah. I said, well, several of our staff were there. And I couldn't believe it. And immediately, by the way, we had a connection. And we were able to talk a little bit. and I got to hear about his ministry. But I thought, what a chance encounter, I've got to travel to to Washington D.C., do a do a trip to the White House, sit in a in a a, a grill, and I look over, and that's where I meet a guy who lives 30 minutes away from me, and I, I just found that to be such a chance encounter. Chance encounters happen all the time. Everybody's got one of those stories, right? That's the story where you just happen to meet someone, you've got a connection, they know somebody you know. What is it? 7 degrees of separation. We're 7, we're 7 people away from every person in the world, right? Unless you know Pastor Bruce, he's connected to everybody. But he knows he knows everybody. But other than that, and I'm going to take you on a chance encounter today, Luke chapter 23. Jesus, throughout his life, had all of these chance encounters. Unexpected connections. Now, I happen to believe there are no chance encounters when it comes to Christ. I believe they're all divine appointments. But I would tell you that for them, it was a chance encounter. We see it all through his ministry. And when Jesus is being crucified, he's already been through the Garden of Gethsemane. He's already been betrayed. He's already had his final supper With the disciples. He's already been beaten. He's already been ridiculed and mocked. He's already been tried. And in Luke chapter 23, verse 26, we see his march to the cross. Luke says this way, "...as they led him, Jesus, away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way from the country, and he put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus." large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned to them and said, daughters of, of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. I mean, he, he turns to them in this time and he begins to minister to them. Verse 32 says this. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. Now, it's interesting because when you, when you read Matthew's account, Matthew makes sure that we understand that as passerbys ridiculed and mocked Jesus, as the soldiers mocked Jesus, as the, as the chief priests mocked Jesus, the criminals that were hung with him also mocked Jesus. Mark says the same thing. says the criminals, the thieves that, that, that were... Uh, Uh, crucified next to Jesus, they also mocked and ridiculed him. Then it says this. When they came to the place called the skull, where they were crucified with him, where they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, if he saved others, let him save himself, if he really is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him him wine vinegar, and they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, it's interesting. You see all kinds of chance encounters. In this passage, you see chance encounters like Simon of Cyrene, right? That means uh, uh, wrong guy in the wrong place, right guy in the right place, right guy in the wrong place. I mean, I don't know how you say it. All I know is that this guy, when he started the day, never thought he'd be carrying a cross. I, I, I thought this morning I was focusing in on the, the soldiers. And how frustrated they must have been because this was supposed to be a holiday weekend. You got Passover. The Jews are not going to fight and rebel during the Passover. They were, they, it should have been an easy two to three days of quiet. Now they got a crucifixion. I wonder if they thought to themselves specifically the centurion the guy who was in charge of the whole thing he probably was complaining to his friends yeah I got to work the crucifixion this weekend yeah well, we weren't planning we had plans for the week I got called in because now and I wonder if the Roman soldiers that when they nailed him when they beat him if they didn't beat him with just a little more vigor because Jesus was kind of ruining their plan Mary was there. John, the disciple Jesus loved. Other other women of Jerusalem were there. There were other women around the cross. We don't see any other disciple that's there, but there were passerbys. Think of all the chance encounters. In fact, can I just, what's the chance? In all of human history, you happen to be one of the two thieves that gets crucified next to Jesus Christ. What's a chance? And it's interesting because Luke is not denying what took place in Matthew and Mark. He is simply giving you the rest of the story. You see, every author tells the story from a perspective, from a viewpoint. Luke is looking back now through historical evidences. He's looking back through eye testimony, and what I believe probably happened is that both of those thieves started off the day as non-believers. Both of those thieves started off the day as kind of joining in in the contempt, but something transformed in one of their lives. One thief saw something transform him. And you kind of wonder what it is. What was it that got to him? But I think, I think it's this little verse, this little saying right here. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That somehow when everything was chaotic, when everything was falling apart, when everything around them was going crazy, Jesus used that as a platform for the hope of the gospel. He used it as an opportunity to pour out his grace. By the way, in our current world, right, the craziness that's going on, wouldn't it be interesting that when everything else is chaotic, when everyone else is in chaos, when everyone else is frantic, if that could not possibly become the greatest platform for the hope of the gospel to go into our world? I think he was transformed by that grace. I, I think he was transformed that in the moment where he least should have shown grace, Jesus poured out grace. And, I, and a couple of observations that kind of really powerfully impact me from that passage. Um, the first one is this. That, uh, notice God's grace was reaching over from the cross, down from the cross, and out from the cross. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, the them there, we don't exactly know who that is. We, we, we believe Jesus was reaching down from the cross, right? Because it says right after this that there were people that were gambling for his clothes. Now, can you imagine that? In the midst of all of this stuff, these are guys, these are guys who are gambling for the very little bit of modesty that would have covered the Son of God. They're down there gambling for the rights to have the clothes, and so I wonder if Jesus is looking at them and saying, Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. I wonder if he's looking at at the passerbys, the people that are ridiculing. It's just the crowd. They're just kind of joining in. You ever notice how you just join? You don't even really know what's going on. I've noticed if you go to a football game and, and you don't even necessarily like the team, everybody starts cheering, yeah, you get into it a little bit, right? It's just, it's just you're just going along with it. I wonder if he's looking at the chief priest saying, Father, forgive him. Mary, his mom. Mother, woman, here is your son. Looks at John. John, son, here is your mother. He's showing grace. You're watching grace pour out from the cross, even to the guys next to him. I don't think the the, the thief that responded to Jesus is the only one Jesus was pouring out grace toward. I think both of them could have responded to him. That's how Jesus works. The the second thing that, that strikes me in this passage is that God's grace is pursuing even those who were crucifying Jesus those who were the cruelest to him, those who were the meanest to him, those who were actually inflicting the pain, his grace was reaching out to. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. I was actually thinking about it this morning. Over the years, as I've watched people come to Christ, I have found that those who have rejected Christ the most... In many ways, those who have been the most arrogant toward the things of the Lord. Now I love it. I love it when kids come to Christ and they follow the Lord their whole life. I love it when that teenager gets saved and they they really never super rebel. My wife never really super rebelled. I probably was her biggest rebellion. Uh, she married me. <laughs> probably her parents were like, oh my word, you know. Uh, my wife used to rebel by just changing the radio station on the car from the local Christian station to a pop station. That was her That was her big rebellion. But when she'd get home, she'd always turn it back to the local Christian stage, you know. That's kind of how she did it. I've watched over the years that those who um, perhaps rejected the most, that God's grace shines the brightest. Years ago, I was playing softball when I lived in Warsaw, and uh, we were in a church league, and I was a pitcher. And uh, there was a guy on one of the teams that This guy, he just scared me. He did, he did, he just scared me. Um, He had no hair, I think by choice. I think he shaved. Um, He had tattoos from here all the way, covered his entire head, all the way down his arms. I don't know if those were the only tattoos, but anything you could see on the guy was all tattoos. And I will tell you that many of those tattoos were, were not, they were not, um, they weren't the cleanest tattoos, and I remember looking at that guy. Um, and I admit it; I kind of formed a, an opinion and thought, "Man, that guy's t- that guy's rough." Until I met him, he tells a story of how he came to Christ, and and he he was visibly a little embarrassed about a couple of them. Not that he was embarrassed about tattoos; it's just what they said. It's hard to cover some tattoos, you know. But he was such an evidence of God's grace because you could say one that had rejected the Lord the most, or at least been the most outspoken about it. It was as if God's grace shone so much more brightly in his life. That's how God's grace works. God's grace Shines out and down and around the cross. He, he, he reaches those who, who were crucifying him. God's grace was pursuing those who didn't even know they needed to be pursued. This, this, is, this is fascinating. Father, forgive them. Why? They don't know what they're doing. They didn't even know they needed to be saved. They didn't even know. They had no idea. Isn't it fascinating that even if I don't know I need the Lord, I still need the Lord. And even if I don't realize I'm lost, I'm still lost. Uh, Tammy and I, um, right after I got back from D.C., we were here, and then, boom, we popped back out for a few days uh, to go see Tammy's mom and dad. It's a trip we had had planned in, in advance for about five days. Went down to see them down in Florida. And so when I got down there, I kind of became the driver. I drove for when we went as a group. And then Tammy and I went out. I think it was Saturday morning. We went out for breakfast by ourselves. And we were going in this back way to this little, um, little diner we saw. And uh, every time we'd make a turn, there was a car coming the wrong direction. Every, arrows were going this way. You would make the turn, cars in the wrong, coming the wrong way. I, I, I will just I'll admit what I said. What is with all these idiots? They're all driving the wrong direction. So, about four times that happened, going through this parking lot area and trying to get to this diner. After the last time, I said, What is with all these idiots? And Tammy said, Maybe they're not the ones driving in the wrong direction. (laughs) And so I, I stopped and I. I I made sure I wasn't, because can I just tell you, if you think everybody's driving the wrong direction, you might want to make sure you're driving the right direction. I I was, by the way. It was all them. They were all the ones uh, messing up on that one. But you know what? Just because you don't realize you're lost doesn't mean you're not lost. And just because you don't realize you need to be forgiven doesn't mean you don't need to be forgiven They had no idea. No idea. In fact, even if you don't think there are consequences, doesn't mean there aren't consequences. Over 30 years ago, I was in my freshman year of uh, college, and I had a friend of mine who, um, she was a believer, but I will tell you, she was in a struggling time of her walk with the Lord, and she had a roommate, and she told me this, and when she told me this, it blew me away. She said, my roommate says that she's a believer too, but she, she, she engaged in a lot of really inappropriate stuff. And um, her, her roommate said this, I don't know what's in the Bible, and I don't want to know what's in the Bible. I never read the Bible because I don't want to know what I'm doing wrong. And then she said this, because as long as I don't know that it's wrong, I won't be held accountable for it. And by the way, there might be some of you who feel that. I tell you this, you're wrong. (laughs) We're held accountable, even if we didn't realize that it was against God. Even if you don't acknowledge who God is, doesn't mean we're not held accountable for that. In fact, isn't it the beauty of God's word because God's word actually addresses that. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says, you see, at just the right time when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That means we didn't even have the strength to accept him. But he still died for us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. Before Phil Whetstone ever realized he needed a Savior, he already died for me. Before I ever realized that what I was doing was wrong, before I ever even realized I had a rebellious heart, before I ever realized any of that, Christ had already paid the price. What he's asking us to do is to receive it and accept it. But before, and so before you were ever born, right? Before you were ever even born, the Lord died for you, provided for you by his grace. Our theme verse has been that from the foundations of the earth, he chose us, right? before you ever even knew it he chose you leave me in the last one number 4 god's grace was pursuing to the end until it couldn't pursue him anymore and you might be thinking, I'm, I'm saying, well, you know, Christ's grace, God's grace pursued the thieves on the cross um, until Jesus died. And by the way, that's true. But see, that wasn't the end of the story because according to Scripture, Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He's coming again, intercedes on our behalf today. So here's the deal. God's grace just keeps on. There is no end to God's grace. He just keeps on pursuing. But here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. The end of God's ability to reach us by his grace is when we take our last breath. I hate to say it, but God's God's word says that when, when this life is over, wherever we are with the Lord, that's where we are. And so it isn't so much about his grace ending, it's about our opportunity to respond. But God's grace just keeps on pursuing us number of years ago, and it's starting to bleed together for me. I've been at Colonial Woods long enough now that, that um, I, don't, I don't always, I'm not always, like I'm starting to think decades now. I've been here around 18 years, and I think between 10 and 14 years ago was the first time that I walked into a little shop down on Lapeer. Now my kids make fun of me because um, I, I, I am a guy who gets, uh, I get into things. I get into hobbies. And so I had a period in life where I painted. Uh, that didn't last very long. One painting that I ever did was from my dad about 30 years ago. Um, I, had a, I had a time in my life when I made little woodworking stuff. I get into hobbies. And uh, so a lot of you know I like hunting, that kind of stuff. Well, I, 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 I collect coins. Uh, I collect old antique um, uh, uh, firearms. And I collect the memorabilia that goes around it, like old ammunition boxes and all—I love that. I get really geeked by that stuff. So my kids make fun of me. Oh, what are you in today, Dad? You know, what are you gonna, you know, what are you excited about today? So I went into this little shop. I think to find coins because that would have been the beginning of that era. And I walk into this little coin shop and I walk in and it's not just coins. It's coins. It's fire, old firearms. It's Civil War, I mean, I mean, Xanadu for guys like me who love that old stuff. And it was all crazy old stuff. And there was a guy behind the counter. His name was Jack, I found out. And uh, I interrupt. I, I kind of, I tried to pick his brain a little bit, trying to build a, you know, just a friendship. Didn't really hit it off that much. The guy was a bit cantankerous. But I like grumpy, cantankerous guys. And so... Um, So I I kept going in. And after I had come in a few times, um, I kind of became a known face. And I was talking to him about something. I was trying to learn. I didn't know anything about coin collecting. And he said, "Um, do I know you? And uh, I said, I I don't think so. He says, well, have I seen you? I said, yep, I'm on the post office wall. I said, I'm on that most wanted thing. And he goes, no. then he does this. He goes, you're on TV, aren't you? And I said, yep. America's Most Wanted. That's it right there. And he said, no, no. He says, you're a preacher, aren't you? I said, yeah. I said, I'm a pastor out at Colonial Woods. He goes, I thought so. I've listened to you preach. He says, you know what, preacher? You give a pretty good message. I felt pretty good. That was it. I walked in. He'd know my name. I'd walk in. I'd know his name. Over the next eight to ten years, I'd go in every week to three months. Just depended. I had his phone number. He had my phone number. If I had questions about the value of certain, I'd call him, right? He loved kind of teaching me about that stuff. Got to know the guys in the, there was always these guys who were in the shop with him. There was Bob over here, another guy in the corner always playing solitaire. And I got to know him a little bit about four years ago. It had probably been about five months since I had been in that uh, shop. He was all by himself when I walked in. I walked in. He had lost a lot of weight. Didn't particularly look good. And I said, Jack, man, you've lost a lot of weight. I'm just quoting what he told me. He said, God, Phil, I almost died. I said, you did. He began to tell me about the health need he had. had. He almost died. I was in the hospital two, three months. And for the first time in the ten years that I knew him, we talked about something more than coins or just surface stuff. And so he said, um, "He said, Phil, I almost died." He said, uh, "Do you do you believe in prayer?" I said, oh, Jack, I believe in prayer. He said, I prayed my guts out. And he began to talk to me. I'm not going to tell the story, but he began to share some of the personal stuff that had happened in those hospital rooms. Our relationship changed a little. Um, About six to seven months later, we had just had the Good Friday service here at Colonia Woods, And um, it was about 3, 3 3.30. I was off the rest of the day. Stopped out at the shop. I walk in. There's Jack. There's Bob. Hey, Rev. How you doing today? I said, I'm good, buddy. He said, what brings you in? I said, well, I just had a good Friday service. Just thought I'd stop in, see how you're doing. Oh, yeah? Hey, Rev. What's so good about Good Friday? And, and you, ever, you ever feel like the Lord just sets the table for you? Almost 14 years. Be 12. God opens up for the first time for me to just lay out the hope of the gospel talked about, I said, you know what, that's a great comment because for Jesus it was a lousy day. But because Jesus died for our sins, a couple of days, Jack, he raises from the dead. Because of him paying for our sins, it's a great day. Because we can know what it is to have our sins forgiven and have an assurance in our heart and when this life's over, we get to go to be heaven with him. I went home that afternoon. Tammy asked me how the day went. And I told her about the whole encounter in the shop. And I said, you know what, Tammy? I said, it uh, wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if someday I do Jack's funeral. A month later, I get a phone call. I happen to be at breakfast with some other pastors in town. Jack. I walk outside the busy restaurant. I pick up the phone. Jack! what's going on buddy he never called me i mean he only called a couple of times right this isn't jack this is his son dad's in the hospital he's down at beaumont he's in icu he really wants you to come I said listen I'm I'm three to four hours before I can get down there but I said I can pray from here he says that's what he really wants you to do I said put on speakerphone began to pray for Jack by one o'clock I was down at the hospital room got down on my knees as we just kind of whispered back and forth and I said Jack you've been a great friend he took my hand and he said we are friends aren't we Phil? said you bet and once again for the last time I had a chance to remind him of the hope we have in Jesus Christ and when I prayed for him I prayed Psalm, uh, Psalm 23 and then I prayed John 14 over him Lord I'm so thankful that we need not be in fear That we trust in God, trust also in Him. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I left that day and it was the last time I saw Jack alive. I did do Jack's funeral. I did share Jack's story. But I, I can't help but think God's grace just kept chasing him to the very end of his life. All through what? A chance encounter. That wasn't a chance encounter. It was a divine appointment. Okay. We're in a world right now that is in chaos, craziness, fear. And rather than see this as a chance encounter, what are the divine appointments God is establishing for you right now where you can be peaceful in a time of crazy. You can live faith. Fear is contagious, so is faith. To live faith in a place where so many others are struggling with trust. To walk with peace rather than panic. For such a time as this, and I, I, I understand that many who are joining right now, many of you are from Colonial Woods. We have literally had hundreds and hundreds who have joined us online. Right now, there's around three to 400 families that are joining online. So you're not alone. And many of you are a, a regular part of Colonial Woods. But I would simply say this. For some of you, this thing has gripped you. And it has either been used by the Lord to confront you with what you're trusting in, or you may be wondering for yourself, do I even really know him? Isn't it interesting that for the thief on the cross, the worst thing in his life was not being crucified? Isn't it interesting? That wasn't the worst thing. worst thing in his life was he didn't want to end life without knowing what was next. That was what was on his mind. Today, would you remember me when you get to your kingdom? Right? That's what he wanted. We can't control everything that happens, but we know this. Lord, what holds me steady is knowing that you never change and my eternity never does. Isn't that great? So, Father, this morning circumstances have changed by how we have um, worshipped as a body of Christ, but I choose to believe that it is the platform for the hope of the gospel to pour into the lives of our world. And for many who are joining right now, maybe they would have never joined us any other way, but they're with us this morning, and it is your divine appointment for this time. Yes, we pray for healing. Yes, we pray for our country. Yes, we pray for all of this. But there are more important things than just what's going on today. And so you may be just simply saying, Lord, I want to be your child. And I want to be forgiven. Because I've got stuff in my past. I've got stuff today that, Lord, I need to see a life change. So I ask your forgiveness for not paying much attention to you when things have been going well. But Lord, I'm hearing you right now. Would you come into my life and forgive my sins? I I ask that in Jesus' name. And this really isn't just about being scared of eternity. Lord, I I want you to walk with me every day. I want to know what it is to have you constantly be with me, to guide me to give me peace that passes all understanding. I admit I don't know that peace. So Jesus, I just need right now surrender myself and surrender all this stuff and just know that you're the God who cares more about me than anyone else can. You love me. And I guess this morning I want to say I love you and I want to follow you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.